Ladies and gentlemen and Corner Kick fam, welcome back to the Corner Kick podcast, where it has been an extremely eventful week in soccer. A busy week, the return of the Premier League, several huge transfers that are finally going to be confirmed in the coming days, and we are going to be here to break it all down for you. But today, I am joined by two men who are not going to be part of Gareth Bale's golf group tomorrow in London. I am joined by Nathan Strauss. Absolutely. I would shoot about, you know, 55 over par. And Caleb Rhodes. Hello. We also shouldn't forget the biggest story of the week, which is Messi scoring in friendlies for Barcelona. So, oh, absolutely. There's that. But lads, the Premier League is back after a very, very short, long wait for it to return. I think it was only about what, 40 or so days since the end of the last Premier League season, the beginning of this Premier League season. And it seems like the more things change, the more things stay the same, but also some things change because there's new players and new stars, but also some of the same things happened, carry over from last season. It, it felt like a very strange limbo period for the Premier League in which like, we're still like picking up some of the narrative elements from last season while it's like trying to inject some like mid-season elements, but it didn't like entirely feel like a completely new season to me. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it definitely felt very weird. Like I couldn't quite place it at all. I, I think also the results were a little strange and we can get into that. Um, and that threw off my sort of sense perception of, of what the Premier League is. Yeah, I mean, it was a little weird because it seemed a little bit pre-season-y especially because the opening fixture was Arsenal versus Fulham and Arsenal were starting like Mohamed Elneny. And it just seemed, again, the lack of fans, the fact that Fulham stadium is like half under construction, the vibes were very, very weird. Um, and especially knowing that the Premier League transfer window doesn't close for three more weeks, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in how squads line up. And I think that also played into the fact that it felt a little bit like we were still in a sort of late preseason stages of things. Yeah, and obviously, as we break down this week, this week one, we were determining, you know, we didn't want to make two big definitive statements on the Premier League, you know, who's going up, who's going down, who's going to be like the players of the season or whatever, because, you know, we're only one weekend. We don't want to assume anything. Uh, and you know what they say about assumptions. So what we're going to do is we have each compiled three Premier League over reactions and kind of take the temperature of what was like Caleb was saying and like Nathan was saying a pretty strange weekend to restart the Premier League so we each have three overreactions Caleb do you want to take us to your first Premier League overreaction for week one sure my my overreaction it's kind of two and one uh the first is that Sheffield have have lost their mojo but Leeds have like the anti-Sheffield mojo as in they're like an attacking craziness, but no defense. But I think they're going to finish in like eighth. Yeah. So Leeds are on my Premier League overreactions too. I just have written here, Leeds United are here to stay because I think you're absolutely right. I think they have 
the firepower to go forward and score many goals and cause a lot of teams problems with that extremely choreographed approach that they take, uh, especially at the beginning of games. I think Liverpool uh, were really overwhelmed. We should say it was Liverpool four, Leeds United three in the first game of the season for the newly crowned Premier League champions. And it was not an easy game for Liverpool whatsoever. I think they were a bit shaky at the back regardless coming into this one, but Leeds United, their tactics, uh, the choreographed nature of the Bielsa game, the pressing, the man marking, I think it really threw Liverpool for a loop and they're going to need to be a lot better, but we can talk about Liverpool going forward. Obviously, they made a big splash in the transfer market today, but Nathan, what did you make of Leeds, especially considering this was the first real, I think the first time a lot of people are going to have seen a, a Marcelo Bielsa team in action in America specifically? Yeah, I think, and speaking of having seen them, um, the Liverpool-Leeds game actually set the record for most views for an opening, uh, a Premier League opening day game of all time um, with around 1.5 million viewers. So very impressive stuff. I think a lot of people were really tuned in to see how the champions would fare. But also I think the name Leeds United has a bit of pull for people who were getting into the Premier League back in their heyday. I thought Leeds looked pretty good. There was a bit of sloppiness about them that I think is going to come when you've just been promoted from the championship and have to play Liverpool. At the end of the day, they were pretty clinical. Uh, Jack Harrison really impressed me. Um, I've seen him excel in the last two years in the championship, but he scored an absolute banger, uh, to put it lightly, and he was a real problem for Liverpool. In general, I think... The Bielsa side did pretty well, were it not for that, you know, pretty poor penalty to give away um, late in that game. I think they would have been justified in earning a draw. I do think that center back is a real area of concern for them. I mean, Pascal Strike is fine, but he's 20 years old and couldn't cut it for young Ajax two years ago. And I'm not entirely sure um, how there isn't a, an upgrade available on the market for them somehow. Well, uh, Liam Liam Cooper, their club captain, is uh, is still injured. So I think he's the person who's going to slot in there once he's back to full fitness. Right. But and I also think that their fitness is going to be a slight issue, especially um, as their cup competitions come into play. We saw them rotate yeah, they lost their today. entire 11. Yeah, they, we saw them rotate their entire 11 as they lost to Hull City um, in a pretty poor performance. So all in all... I think it's a solid opening display. I think you ask for, when you're playing the champions, you ask for a team to come out and compete. And I think Bielsa's side did that. Yeah, Caleb, what did you make of Bielsa and Leeds in their first outing in the Prem? I was very impressed, especially because I, you know, I think last episode, I, I was saying how I didn't think Bamford was, was the guy and I was worried about goals. Well, they scored three goals against, in theory, the best defense in the league. Um, Bamford had a goal. Jack Harrison had a goal. I think we did see a few times where Bamford made the wrong choice, probably should have pulled the trigger earlier and, you know, kind of got lost in the box a little bit. But all in all, clearly this system, it works, right? Like they are so well drilled. Um, I think that was the most impressive part. And I think defensively they'll settle a little more and they also, you know, won't have to play so decisive a front line although right two of Liverpool's goals were penalties so in a lot of ways if they hadn't been so sloppy if coach hadn't been just kind of abysmal on his debut uh things could have been very different but all around very impressed with everything except their hair I really have not watched a lot of leads and all of those stupid like man buns and stuff <laughs> on like everyone whoa, whoa 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 
What do you got to say about man buns? I felt right at home in the Leeds 11. Okay. So as someone who's, you know, who's grown out his hair and hasn't had a haircut in 2020, I did try a bun this weekend, I will say. Uh, but that is not a haircut I would bring to light and certainly not one that I would bring to the football pitch. Um, but maybe with the Premier League, they'll get some better barbers um, who will perhaps, and may- maybe better publicists who will try to rein them in a little bit. <laughs> listen, listen, I was feeling like with my, my man bun, I was feeling like I could be on the end of one of those Calvin Phillips long balls personally i felt right at home in the uh no right it's BLC part of the 11. system maybe maybe, yeah. maybe i'm discounting it too much it's um, the prerequisite to uh <laughs> to be starting it right like, do you want to be noticed days. by bielsa who has some of the most straightforward hairstyling and dress possible uh you know just go for a kind of fun you know little slimy uh haircut so <laughs> yeah caleb is the fact that they only uh, took four shots, and a couple of those were off of Liverpool errors. Is that going to be a concern going forward for them, or do you think they're, the pressure that they bring with their system is going to be enough to create chances? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I think it's hard to sort of fully evaluate what this Leeds team really is when they're playing their first game back in the Premier League in decades against the reigning champions. Um, and certainly Liverpool were very sloppy at several points. Um, but I think in general, they'll settle down um, they'll have the opportunity to create more chances. And at the same time, you know, you have to take those slip-ups when they come. And so I don't fault them for taking the opportunities that were presented to them. So I'm not super worried. Nathan, do you want to take us to your next overreaction? My next overreaction is Fulham can avoid playing their next 37 games because we all know that they are going to end up right back in the championship. I somehow managed to be less impressed with Fulham after predicting them to finish 19th. Uh, as they basically created a grand total of zero chances against Arsenal. Um, And looking at their squad, it's just so bad. And I saw a great tweet that sort of described the situation. It was something along the lines of shocking that for Scott Parker, going into the season with the same squad that produced a measly plus eight uh, unexpected goal differential in the championship is not going to win them uh, any plaudits in the Premier League. Um, I think Fulham are going to really, really struggle to win games this year. I think they're going to struggle to draw games this year. And I wouldn't surprise me if, given the uncertainties around returning fans to Stadia, if the smaller Premier League sides that rely on home crowds to get results, I think Fulham are going to be in a really tough position and they are going to end up going down this year. Yeah, Nathan, I totally agree. I think Fulham, I, I think in general, the shortened window in between the end of the championship season, specifically for Fulham, they had to play that playoff final a few weeks after the conclusion of their domestic season last year. I think the gap in between the end of their season and the beginning of this Premier League season has left them with absolutely no time to prepare for life in the Premier League. And we saw them adjusting to players like Aubameyang and Willian on the fly. And that is not something that you want to be doing and I think it was just compounded by the fact that they had to face probably the most lethal striker in the Premier League going right now. I think Fulham and West Brom. So this is my second. I guess I'll just transition into my second overreaction. I think the bottom three as it is right now, West Ham, Fulham, and West Brom, that is going to be the bottom three at the end of the season. 
I think the gap in between those three teams right now and just like the lack of, you know, enthusiasm specifically from West Ham, they look like a team that like they're not willing to follow Moyes and they haven't strengthened the market and they look absolutely dejected. They look absolutely dejected by the sale of Grady Ziagna. They just look like they're a club without a direction at the moment. And I think they're a club that is swiftly plummeting to the championship without a lot of investment in the team this summer. And I just think Fulham and West Brom haven't had nearly enough time to prepare uh, West Brom obviously getting talked 3-0 by a Leicester team that I honestly didn't think looked particularly up to the races either. I think Leicester kind of didn't get out of gear one in that match and they still found a way to secure a 3-0 victory over the Baggies. So I think Billich and Scott Parker are in trouble. And I also think Scott Parker's comments after the match were particularly revealing when he said that he kind of expects Fulham to lose games on the bounce and learn as they go. And I think in the Premier League, you can accommodate for a lot of that. But in the time that they were given to prepare for this season, I don't think West Brom, Fulham, and I think potentially West Ham too, are not going to be prepared for the season to come. So I remain way more confident in West Ham than Fulham. Um, I think Fulham also shot themselves in the foot a little bit. Like, why not start Areola, who you just bought? Why not start Mitrovic, who's your just best attacking player? Why not start even Knockert or Knockert, however you say it, um, after buying him? So they left some talent on the bench. Meanwhile, like West Ham obviously left a lot of talent on the bench um, against Newcastle, but it's of a totally different caliber. They left... Andrei Yarmolenko, Felipe Anderson, Manuel Lanzini, and Sebastian Haller all on the bench. Those are just much, much better players than what Fulham is working with. And so I, I'm, I remain more bullish on West Ham surviving the drop and sort of being a mid-table team. Fulham clearly are, are, are already down for the count. Like I think they could go for that uh, derby record for fewest points uh, in a Premier League season. What was it, like 12? I see. That's what I told Nick when I we Nick and I uh, watched the Spurs game, which I think we'll get to in a little bit on Saturday. And I, Nick disagreed. I think that Derby team was really special in terms of their uh, abjectness, but I really think that Fulham are going to be pushing it close. I think they could push it close. I just think the season is a little bit too strange for a team to be like that consistently awful week in week out. I think they are going to find a way to get a few wins in here and there against like the bottom the bottom sides of the world you know maybe the crystal palaces i just think that you know the season is like just a little bit strange the transfer window isn't closed yet i'm not super ready to say that fulham are going to be the worst premier league team of all time but who knows they certainly uh looked like it against arsenal okay my second slash third take is that this everton team is for real even though you guys are hating on it and they will finish in the top four Probably. <laughs> oh my god no 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 probably more like sixth place but i think this is a better team than wolves i really do i was really impressed with hamas in the first game he looked alive he looked like he wanted to work for ancelotti uh richarlison was despite his you know one bad moment excellent on the day calvert lewin scoring this team is real this team is really, really, really real. And, you know, beating Spurs is no no joke, I would say. I think they were able to contain what was essentially a full-strength Spurs team, which is a bad look for Spurs. But maybe someone else talked about that. But Everton, 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 Everton. Merseyside's going to have 
its own Manchester scenario this oh year. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I was really impressed. And particularly the point on Hamas. I don't know. Are you guys like aware of the uh, the let Russell Wilson cook hashtag that's been floating around the NFL recently? Yes. About how it's just like, just let Russell Wilson throw the ball downfield. Let him play the way he wants to play. Let him just unleash his talents um, for the Seattle Seahawks. I think Everton's motto this season should be let Hamas cook. Because when he is playing that roaming role in attacking midfield, you know, drifting in from the right, picking up the ball deep, probably the best service that Dominic Calvert-Lewin has ever received as a striker, even though he scored his goal off of a Dina free kick. Uh, that one shot that he had that was off balance that Yoris had to scramble. This guy is going to be the talisman for Everton this season. I see no reason why he is not going to provide a spark that Everton has not seen since perhaps. I dare to say Wayne Rooney donned the blue shirt as a young teenager at the club. Him, coupled with a Richarlison that looks newly motivated, coupled with Alan, who is the man of the match, absolutely resolute in defensive midfield. I think this is a uh, a trio that is going to have a lot of time to gel, you know, all South Americans. And I think Everton have themselves a little bit of a, uh, a samba dance in that midfield in terms of yeah. creativity and holding the line. Absolutely. And just to go back to Hames for a second, he only completed 47 passes in the entire game, but 11 of them were long balls. And I think that shows his role is going to be pretty favorable for his strengths this year. Because when you think about it, Everton, as one of those sort of upper middle table kind of teams, are going to be looking to control possession against, you know, half of their opponents. But then again, against teams like Spurs, against the traditional big six, they're going to have to play on the break a little bit more than they would like to. And seeing how consistently Hamas was able to switch the play, how much he was able to spring Richarlison. I mean, if Richarlison had been able to finish, he could have had two goals. I mean, we forget Richarlison missed an open goal. Um, and the scoreline being one nil to Everton does kind of a disservice to, I think the actual sort of run of play. I think it was a pretty gutsy move to start all three of their new midfield signings um, who had all been brought in in the previous two weeks in the same day. You know, like I think it's, you're looking for a midfield with chemistry and I think that was sort of a trial by fire for them, but they passed it. Even Andre Gomes, I thought was, was pretty solid. Uh, and I think he's probably the least heralded of that midfield trio. This is definitely the most competitive Everton team that we've seen in at least five or six years, probably since Roberto Martinez's first season at the club way back in 2013-14. And also, like, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, this guy scored 12, I think it was 12 or four, maybe like 12-13 Premier League goals last season on some real scrappy chances. Like, this guy reached reached into his bag of, of tricks for those 12 or 13 Premier League goals. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of in the low teens. Uh, I think with the service that he's going to be provided this season, you could see DCL get up to around 16 to 18 Premier League goals as Everton's number nine this season, which would be massive, especially since they'd never really replaced that goal threat in the form of Lukaku. And don't get me wrong, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Lukaku, he is not. But I think if he can get 18 goals by feeding off of this rich creative service from James Rodriguez and the South American contingent, plus Andre Gomes, then I think Everton are going to be in a real good position to succeed this year, boys. Don't forget, like, they still have Moise Keane on the bench, who they spent, like, what, $28 million or something on last year. I don't know if he's a bust, 
but certainly they still have options with like theoretical quality off the bench, Sigurdsson too. I will also like to point out that you guys were talking a lot of <laughs> about this team last week, and <laughs> I was the only one who was like, no, this team is good. Yeah, I've so, seen the light. And I'm just, I'm glad you guys have come to, to my side, but let, just let the record show that you guys are bandwagoners, and I was there from the beginning. So Yeah, listen, I still think this team is going to get slacked in the Merseyside Derby. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> such is the nature of Everton. Uh, Spurs, it was a big test, as you said, and I think they passed their first test with flying colors. I think it'll the real test for Everton will be when they come up against the Manchester Cities, the Liverpools, the Uniteds of the world, particularly that game against Chelsea when it's going to be new signings aplenty versus new signings aplenty. But I think Ancelotti, um, this is someone who's won the Premier League title He's very familiar with the Premier League, even though we we might not think he is. And I think he knows what it takes to succeed in this division, especially with the elite talent that he has on display. And I think what's especially important is that this is elite talent that he has managed before in the likes of Alan and James, which certainly gives Everton a leg up on the other competition. Nathan, it sounds like it is uh, more nothing in zero all at Tottenham Hotspurs right now. It's Mourinho, yes. no, not Marine, yes. <laughs> Chairman Moo. Oh my it's god. Not go, it's not going well for the old Chairman Moo over there at Spurs. The great although leap forward is always a bit of a sham. Although there is a shining knight in armor coming down the par three in the form of a returning hero to Spurs. But I'll save that for after you've done your overreaction on your hated rivals, Tottenham Hotspurs. My overreaction is that Spurs are going to finish no higher than seventh this year. I had the displeasure of watching a full-strength Spurs team battle Bulgarian giants locomotive Plovdiv on what looked like a repurposed tractor farm. Uh, it was and awesome. It was one of the worst games of soccer that I've ever watched in my it entire was like life. That episode it was like the episode of Friday Night Lights where they need to create a stadium in the middle of like a cow farm in order to play the uh, the call or like the uh, the high school football semifinal game. And in the middle of the game, the rain starts pouring down. It just turns into like a mud bowl. It looked like that kind of field. It looks like it could have been like the, in the middle of a Bulgarian cow pasture. Yes. And what made it even better is that the stream would cut out every like minute and 45 seconds. Oh, so dude. Would, <laughs> it was honestly the most shambolic experience I've had watching soccer. And keep in mind, the three of us live streamed the Belarusian league back in March. So like we've had some really, you know, interesting experiences watching soccer. This Spurs team <laughs> had six shots <laughs> in the entire game against a <laughs> Bulgaria. <laughs> It was so horrible. <laughs> including one which uh, Hoonman Son just blazed over the bar. So, I mean, listen to the starting lineup. This is the first team that started uh, Steven Bergwijn, Harry Kane, Hoonman Son, record signing Giovanni Lo Celso, um, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, Matt Doherty, Dyer Sanchez, Davies, Mrs. Sissoko. This is literally like their first choice starting eleven. And they were going up against a team whose market value is less than $10 million combined. That is just so embarrassing. Uh, and like... <laughs> um, I, it's just like yes they ended up winning the game right and they won the game because 
locomotive had two players getting sent off in the span of 10 minutes one of whom got a second yellow for i kid you not messing with the, the penalty spot in a sort of james ward hummus ward prowse style i i said this earlier off the air but i think that if spurs had lost this game there would be no coming back for jose Mourinho. and i know he's never really been sacked per se i know he's always liked to leave of his own volition but the fact that he struggled so mightily in this game and the fact that Spurs looked totally bereft of confidence against Everton is a very damning sign of where they're at, even with their two new arrivals. Yeah. Also, to be clear, Los Celso is not their record signing. It's Ndombele. You are fake news. I think your point still stands, Nathan. Ndombele this... did come off the bench and score the winner. He did. He did. Um, and a U-turn for Jose, who after the game had to praise Ndombele for his work ethic, oh God. which I'm sure was something, a U-turn that he was not looking forward to making in the press publicly, but he, he knew he had to. In a weird way, my feelings about this Spurs team have mirrored my feelings about All or Nothing in that I really liked the first two episodes, but have lost a lot of interest in the third and fourth episodes. And that's because Mourinho, at least in the documentary, just sounds like a broken record where he's like early YouTube nice guys finish last um, just over and over. Uh, <laughs> he's, like, he's trying to be Nigahiga in 2020. Oh my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, Spurs are busy watching Casey Neistat. Yeah, dude. He's like literally Mourinho's like, yeah, you go after the big bouncy inflatable green bowl. Um, and... <laughs> But you you you're mean, you're mean to it, you're mean to it. Plow that field, be the cow in Plovdiv, right? Um I Yeah, think... I mean Caleb, he's lost his dressing room already in record time. Yeah. Plus, are we really surprised once again that Matt Doherty and Hoisberg are not the transcendent signings they need? It's highlighted by the fact that Hunman Son only has two goals and ten appearances. Uh, or in his last 10 appearances for Spurs, Lucas Mora looks like a shadow of the man that sent them to the Champions League final. Mourinho looks like he's sucked away all of his powers a la Space Jam basketball. But, boys, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the fact that after the poor performance against Everton, I don't know what sort of blackmail Jose had on Daniel Levy, but Levy has busted out the checkbook, and it looks he looks to have signed Sergio Reguillon, from Real Madrid, and the returning Gareth Bale. Lads, the last time Gareth Bale was in the Premier League, he won the PFL Player of the Year. What do you expect from Bale returning to his t- returning to the club that made him into a superstar? What exactly do you think he can provide at the age of 31 for this flailing Spurs team? Not much is the answer. I think he flops. I think he comes back and manages no more than two or three goals. I think he's going to have a lot of trouble staying fit. Um, I don't think that he's going to be anywhere near what Spurs fans are hyping him up to be. This obviously isn't the best indicator of where he's actually at fitness-wise or ability-wise, but this man is a 79 on FIFA. No, that's just disrespectful. I'm not going to have that. That's so disrespectful to me that he's a 79 on FIFA. The, the, The people at EA are taking the... Like, that's just such, like, this man has won four Champions Leagues. He's won two La Liga titles. Like, that's just so, I just can't, he's, like, one of the best technical footballers around while being one of the best physical footballers around. Like, he is everything you'd want in a player. He's just not motivated anymore. 
And I think if you come back to Spurs, if he comes back to the club that made him into a superstar, he <laughs> finally has a reason to play. I mean, he had and two goals and two assists last year. So I think I'm, it's kind of because Don hated him and he didn't want to play for Real Madrid. He hasn't wanted to play for Real Madrid for three years. I think he's finally coming back into a league that loves him, a league that treats him like a, super, a superstar, a team and a fan base that will treat him like a superstar. The look on Harry Kane's face when Gareth Bale is going to walk through those doors, that's going to be a massive lift to him because I feel like he's been on an island all on his own trying to carry this team, Harry Kane, especially when he's not been completely fit himself. So I think if Gareth Bale is motivated, and obviously I'm a little biased because as you guys know, I don't know if our listeners know this, I am a massive Gareth Bale fan. Gareth Bale is one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, Like I just said, I think he has everything that you would want in a complete soccer player the physicality, the speed, the technique, the size, the drive, the effort, the commitment, all while he was at Spurs, granted, I think we've sort of seen those intangible qualities plummet ever since his uh, falling out with Zidane. But I think this guy kind of spent the whole season resting up at Real Madrid. You know, he did have a recurring calf injury here and there and a recurring knee injury as well. But he hasn't played meaningful soccer in a while, which I think it'll take him a while to get back up to that speed. But if he does, and if he's motivated, and if he stays injury-free, which I get are three big ifs, I think is going to be a problem for Premier League teams this season. Oh, it's so tough. I, I really want Bale to succeed, because like Nick, I think when he cares and when he's at his best, he is one of the best players of the last generation of players. And I just worry, though, that without fans in the stadium, without, you know, actually being able to be like welcomed back to Spurs and have players or fans chanting his name or have, you know, a whole thing where people come into the stands for his unveiling. I just worry that he's going, he's going to miss that kind of jump start and that kind of wave of nostalgia that he needs to rediscover himself, right? When he left Spurs, obviously we're still in White Hart Lane. The Spurs he's returning to is entirely new. Frankly, it's unrecognizable from the team that he left. Um, in fact, there are probably more players at Real Madrid, aka Luka Modric, who he played with at Spurs than there are in the current team. I don't think the home looks a lot like what he left. And I think that is going to be a concern for a player who certainly has seemed to become relatively disenchanted with actually doing his job which is being a soccer player. I think like Caleb was saying, Spurs have bought 31 players since Gareth Bell left. And it turns out the guy that they needed to replace Gareth Bale is Gareth Bale. <laughs> so to me, this seems like it's, it is in a way a complete 360 degrees in terms of where Spurs were when they sold Gareth Bale, the ascent all the way up into the Champions League final, the quick plummet back down into Europa League sort of mediocrity and now they have Gareth Bale back and they're trying to reclaim some of that lost spark so I think in a way Spurs funnily enough are right back where they started in terms of trying to gain pace on the top five or six teams in the Premier League again well before we go before we go into sort of more of the recent transfers today I think that Arsenal's new signings looked really really good on Saturday uh, Magalaish. is keeping in mind that this man speaks zero English and didn't have a fellow and Brazilian. Keep in mind that they played Fulham. And keeping in mind that they played Fulham, obviously. Magalaish was the center man in a three-man back uh the three-man defensive line. 
he completed over a hundred passes and oh, had a goal. Good. Yeah, he looked, he looked good. good. And and Willian had two assists, and it very easily could have been three assists if he, they had credited him with that sort of deflection in front of goal. And um, yeah, and he hit the and he hit the, the post off of a free kick. So Arsenal's recruitment looks to have been more hit rather than miss. I'm very very excited for the future of this team. But I suppose Nick, do we want to focus on the news that we have been waiting to hear? from the the mouth of Jurgen Klopp for so long that Thiago has officially signed his Liverpool contract. Yeah, I mean Nathan, you're absolutely right. I think I I'm more confident in the fact that I think Arsenal are going to finish in fourth place this year with the structure that they're starting to build at the club and especially with players like Gabriel looking like they're locking down a solid place in that back line going forward and Willian looking like he's not missed a beat since joining from Chelsea, but yeah, the main man of the transfer window, I would say, has finally Sign the contract. Thiago Alcantara is joining Liverpool Football Club for a reported 25 million pounds with add-ons, taking the deal to around 27 to 30 million. This is an absolute steal. Um, Thiago is probably the first player that Liverpool have signed in the Klopp era that is a bona fide world-class superstar, I would say. Liverpool don't often buy from the Bayern Munichs, the Real Madrids, and the Barcelonas of the world. In fact, we often sell to them. And I think this is a true statement on the fact that Liverpool actually recognize, to I think a lot of people's surprise, considering that it took so long to get this deal done, Liverpool and Fenway Sports Group actually recognize that the way to build on strength in this league is to build from your position of strength. We think about Sir Alex Ferguson, and the way that he built those dominant Manchester United teams from positions of strength, even in his last season at the club, signing Robin Van Persie as a gift for the future of Manchester United. And interestingly enough, he had a deal for Thiago done when David Moyes came in and David Moyes and Ryan Giggs decided that he was not a quote-unquote Manchester United player. Talk about completely flipping the mood of a club in about 10 minutes, I would say since the deal was announced this morning that it was Liverpool had officially made their bid and Bayern had accepted and the transfer was underway, there was a lot of negativity surrounding Liverpool, especially after the Leeds performance, when our, I would say, like, our entire team performance looked really abject. We looked like we weren't at it. We looked like we were missing a beat. We looked like we weren't playing as a cohesive unit, which I think led Liverpool to success last season. And I just think they were getting very complacent. As much as Jurgen Klopp would lead you to believe otherwise... The moment that epitomized it for me was that Bamford goal in which he robbed Virgil van Dijk's very casual pass out using the outside of his foot in order to try and clear it to Andy Robertson. That was the moment to me where I was like, oh, these guys are coasting. And I think bringing in a player like Thiago indicates to me that Liverpool understand that they can no longer coast on the glory of last season. They have to recharge. There needs to be a new energy. And Thiago is certainly a new tool for Liverpool to deploy in their Swiss army knife of a squad. My one question, and this is the question we've asked a lot, is like, what changed that allowed Liverpool to complete this deal now? Right, like literally none of the facts of this deal changed over the past two and a half months. They wanted it. I think they wanted to bid 20 million for him, but Bayern were like, listen, the Bundesliga season is about to start. It's 25 million or he's staying at the club. And Liverpool were like, okay, we'll give you the, we'll give you the 25. It just seems like a weird hill to die on, honestly. Uh, But this is great business. You guys all know 
how much respect and esteem I have for Tiago as a player. I think it's it's interesting because certainly he he feels like a different type of midfielder and it than we've normally seen Klopp play with. But I think it's probably a sign of Liverpool reaching, you know, full maturity in their project, right? They are at their zenith right now, and this is a move to keep them at the the peak for one to two more years before this current construction will probably start to have to be disassembled a little bit. But for those next two years, it is going to be fantastic, I think. Yeah, so. and I think it, it says a lot that he signed on until 2024, which is when Klopp has indicated that he's going to be stepping aside from the Liverpool role. So Thiago, I think, in a way, is perhaps one of his final gifts as Liverpool manager. Yeah, and that makes sense because when you look at the age, I mean, they're in, you're basically your entire midfield and forwards are in the prime of their career right now, which makes it a sort of natural decline alongside when Klopp is planning on retiring. I mean, I, it makes sense right now. You're trying to build on a great thing and you do that by signing great players. So I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to it. And I think it's definitely something that Liverpool needed to get done, especially after you missed out on, you know, what would have been a signing in a different age bracket in Timo Werner earlier on in the summer. I think those are the big marquee transfers that we've been looking out for. But there is a, uh, we want to switch our gaze from England to France briefly and talk about Le Classique that was. I'm trying to think of like a snazzy, like Thrilla in Manila fight tagline to give this Le Classique. But I think it was just so crazy that I actually can't think oh, of one. A Mayday in Marseille. A Mayday in Marseille. Oh, brilliant, Nathan. Thank Nathan, you. Mr. Strauss, take us to the uh, the debacle that was Marseille 1, PSG 0. Well, it's what you would expect from a team that is very much hated by the other. Uh, PSG and Marseille have probably the biggest rivalry in all of France, or at least the most high-profile rivalry in all of France. But I don't think anyone would have expected it to turn out like this. You have allegations of racism, allegations of homophobia. Uh, you have basically a full squad brawl akin to Bruins versus the Canadians. You know, this game was nuts. You have a cheeky, cheeky goal from Florent Tovin, who has been pretty good for Marseille um, after being, after the longest VAR check I've ever seen. Uh, the goal is given in the first half. Then in the second half, in the 90th minute, you have Kevin Strootman getting booked. Laivan Kurzawa gets sent off. Neymar gets sent off. Leandro Daniel Paredes gets sent off. Jordan Amavi gets sent off. Dario Benedetto gets sent off. And after the game, audio emerges and it looks like Alvaro Gonzalez, the Spanish center back for Marseille, formerly of Villarreal, uh, called Neymar a monkey, which is what led to sort of the whole bust up. All in all, it is a terrible look for Ligue 1, a terrible look for both teams. And man, it's kind of undescribable when you think about it. Caleb, it just sounds like a uh, it just sounds like another night in uh, Marseille to me. It sounds like another night in France, honestly. <laughs> I mean, my the the worst part of all this, actually, probably not the worst part, but how the the badness continued after the game is when French Football Federation president uh, Noah Legrand, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Nick, you maybe give him some pronunciation tips there. Legrand, Legrand. Uh, well, he suggested that Neymar could not possibly be right because, of course. Racism does not exist in football because 
people cheer black players when they score. Of course, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I, I think he's, uh, this is the epitome of a rivalry matchup. Probably got a little bit too explosive for my tastes. Certainly entertaining, don't get me wrong, especially the kickboxing match between Jordan Amavi and um, Levin Kurzawa. I think you could probably score that on an MMA scorecard if you wanted to. Um, hopefully, I think it goes without saying that I hope that if Alvaro is proven to have racially abused Neymar, that it will be a significant ban for him because I think, as we've seen in the past four or five months or so, there's been an absolute sea change in the way that we deal with racism in soccer and in our society. So uh, racism aside, and I hope that gets dealt with in a swift and disciplinary fashion, I think this was an absolutely explosive game and it got eyes on Liga in a time in which Liga has a lot of eyes, you know, with Lyon and PSG making it very far in the Champions League. Not a good look for PSG, who have started their season with um, three points from three games. Value for money in Liga. You don't necessarily want to see this. Like, I wouldn't say that this is something that you like to see, but there definitely are a couple of positives for Liga. Uh, but I do think that the league as a whole has been trying to sort of shed its mantle as a butcher's league the farmer's uh, leagueness but not not the farmer's league but the fact that it's a it's a traditionally very violent league. violent yeah, yeah, yeah right. um, and i think that this is not going to be very helpful you know points at the beginning of the season are just as valuable as points at the end and if this ends up making psg's quest for a god knows what a 10th straight title ninth straight title more difficult uh or seventh straight title um i'm all i'm all for it well it's not that many because monica won like a few years ago but I, what what are you guys saying? None of this is positive for the league. There's no you, <laughs> like. What are you guys, like? Oh, it's like it's 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 kind of it's great. Okay, that this guy racially abused Neymar. No, 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 no. That's not what we were saying at all. Saying that because you and I said I should be suspended. No, I know, but long time. No, but then you were like, but hey, there are eyes on Lagoon now, right? Am I wrong? No, no, but I don't know the way you guys phrase it felt like a little weird to me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm not like, saying, dude, obviously, I think the racial abuse aside, I think the racial abuse should be dealt with in a severe manner. I think there's no place for that in Liga, in soccer, in sports, in life, in our society. Other than that, I think about like the Habib Nurmagomedov jumping out of the cage. Yeah, exactly. Nick, great comparison. That is a fantastic that, comparison. That got so many new fresh eyes on the UFC. And while it was probably not ideal for the sport of MMA, it brought a lot of casual people onto the product. And I think these big bust-ups are, they are entertaining. Like, it, it is, it's unfortunate that, like, it kind of muddies what soccer is all about. But entertaining bust-ups get eyes on the product. And it's kind of, it's sad to say, but it, it is true. I had people texting me who, you know, don't watch soccer normally. And they were like, what was this game? With involved Neymar getting sent off and like five other people getting red cards. I mean, I don't really, I don't normally have people messaging me about soccer. Normally it's just like big games in and around the World Cup and the Champions League. And if people have like a Liverpool question, this this found its way to people because of, you know, sad to say like the violent way in which it went down, but it was, yeah. it was, it, it, it reached a wide audience because of just how outrageous it was. And because Neymar is one of the highest profile players in the world, even, you know, non-sports fans know who Neymar is in a way that very few soccer players have um, this this truly global stature. I, I understand why you might think that our phrasing was a little weird, but 
I think we are a little biased in ter- because we know sort of more of the intricacies of the game. Uh, and I think we underestimated how uh, how far this spread. Shall we switch our attention to another Francophone-ish nation in Belgium for a quick second before we wrap things up for the night? Nick, do you want to describe the uh, worst miss of all time to us? I mean, absolutely. I think this is this has to go. I mean, I think right now the worst miss of all time is that Eric Maxim Chupamoting miss, where all he had to do was put his foot through the ball and he would have had a goal, and instead he just decided to gingerly touch the ball and leave it on the line, uh, in which he didn't end up scoring the goal for PSG. But this goal, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before in my life. Arna, so 17-year-old Arnaud Vranks, uh, V-R-A-N-C-X-K, C-K-X. Great name. Uh, great name, very uh, Flemish name. He ends up getting the basically the rebound of a shot with... You know, this is in the six, Belgian league. In the right? Belgian league, he plays for KV Mechelen in the in the Jupiler Pro League. Uh, he basically has the ball four yards away from goal and manages to like do what looks like a FIFA Street skill move, where he like does a ball roll forward, a ball roll back, sort of flexes the ankle before missing an open goal. Um, and there wasn't a defender or a goalie within like eight yards of him. It was a simply jaw-dropping miss. And he sort of curled up in a little fetal position on the pitch afterwards because he couldn't believe it. And I saw this this video was titled on Twitter something like, you have to watch this, this, this non-gold to believe it. And that's totally true. I would definitely encourage any and everyone to look up this video from, uh, it's from James Dart. It is we'll link just it. We'll simply, link it in the show notes. It's just simply incredible. Um, you will never see anything like it again. Caleb, you're a man of science. <laughs> yes. Explain to me the quantum physics that were required in order for this ball to not hit the net from Vranks's foot. Yeah, so in the language of quantum physics, this would be a superposition. Uh, his foot was on both sides of the ball simultaneously, <laughs> and that <laughs> resulted in him breaking his own ankle. Um, so... <laughs> Very painful, very sad. Also terrible to see a, a young attacker's career ended uh, before he can even vote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Luckily, I guess I mean like the one positive for him is at least in Belgium. I imagine he's old enough to to have a drink, so he can kind yeah. of he uh, can have a, he can have a nice oh, uh, a nice Belgian yeah. ale or a cider, perhaps cider. Um, all, any of the above certainly can't mess that up. Um, that's probably all oh, dude, he's going this for. guy is 17 years old that is i mean that's gonna this is gonna haunt him i, I think for a while. i think the funniest part of this and in comparison to the chubamoting miss is that the defenders had completely given up on the play like they oh, were literally stoic in the box whereas they, for they at, least, the yeah, yeah, at least for chubamoting they were like i mean the game was still very much in the balance right like the the players were very active he was being harangued from behind um which sounds a little dirty, but I promise you it's not. Meanwhile, for Vranks, literally no one was anywhere close to him. All he had to do was, you know, the most basic of moves. Um, and it was pretty sad, but there's a little bit of schadenfreude that makes me enjoy seeing a miss as bad as this one every now and again. He was like, I'm about to be Belgian on Sufati. Um, and then, no. Yeah. And instead he was... Uh... On Sufati. 
Got him. Okay. All right. Well, I think we got to end the podcast there. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any coming back from that, yeah. ladies so, and gentlemen. So Caleb can say Jose Mur- Marino, and I and I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment, ladies and gentlemen. I think that is going to bring us to the end of our show for this week. Those are our Premier League over reactions from Week One. We are very eager to witness the debuts of Tiago and Gareth Bale in the Premier. The re-debut of Gareth Bale in the Premier League. I think we are very eager as well to see the continued progress of this newly minted Everton squad under the stewardship of James Rodriguez. And we wish the best to Marseille and PSG. And we wish the very best to our good friend, Aster Franks. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully he can, uh, he, he, he can rebound from this uh, historic miss, but I, th- I certainly think he has created a moment for the ages on this podcast. We will be back with you next week with more Premier League goodness, plus the Bundesliga and La Liga. So we will be with you with the return of domestic soccer. I've been Nick Vinden. Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time.